Good morning. Well, please forgive me for this. These, these things are new to me. <laughs> um, it's a pleasure to be here this morning to share God's word with you, with you guys. And um, it's always a joy for me. And um, I'm glad that the Holy Spirit has brought you here this morning as well. Um, as we continue with our sermon series in the book of Romans, uh, today we'll be in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. If, so if you have your Bibles, please open them uh, on Romans 8, 15 through 17. And I'm going to go ahead and read. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. God, thank you for your word again, and we thank you that we're here. Um, I just pray, God, that you speak to us this morning. I pray that the Holy Spirit would be real in our lives this morning, and he would guide us through. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, the passage we're on this morning um, is mainly about adoption and the fact that we we have been adopted by God. Um, and talking about adoption, my, my wife and I right now are in the process of adoption. And uh, it's been a long road. And just last week, we received somebody from, from the government come over to our house and just talk us through um, what's going to be happening. And they brought us this two big folders with, you know, lots and lots of information in it about the kids, uh, the history of their family, and, you know, the history of themselves, their health situation, and all that stuff that we even haven't had time to sit and read yet. Um, but, yeah, we got that, and she, she explained a couple things um, that we need to know about, you know, and at some point, we're going to have to go to the court where the hearing is going to take place, and we're finally going to get to hopefully adopt them. And once that, is happened, that, that has happened and the adoption process is final, then the kids will be, fu will be fully responsible for them. And so they're, they're going to be fully under our responsibility. We're going to make sure we take care of them, um, you know, guide them through and just provide for their needs and all that. And I think as we read our passage this morning, I think um, what I just said, it reflects in our reality today, this morning, towards God. And that's what we are to God. We're, we have been adopted and we can believe that. And so we're going to, I'm going to talk through that this morning. Um, so the theme of adoption is something that is prevalent in the Bible, and we find it even in the Old Testament, even though it's not necessarily um, worded as adoption, but 
when we read the stories, we see that it's truly adoption happening. And one of the examples that I'll give you this morning is the example of baby Moses, if you can remember that story, um, with the terror that was happening in Egypt with Pharaoh uh, trying to kill all the Hebrew babies. And Moses was protected by God, and, and at some point he was put in the river, and uh, Pharaoh's daughter gets there, and she sees him, and she takes the baby home, and in God's providence, he was breastfed by his own mother, and when he got to a certain age, he was actually adopted by Pharaoh. So he grew up in Pharaoh's home, and we can read that story in the book of Exodus 2, chapter 8 through 10, where it says, And, Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me and I will, give you, I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. So we can see here clearly that it's an adoption that is happening. Moses is adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. So he's He's a, a royal man now. He's seen there in that home. He, that's where he grows up. And he knows what is going on. And he grows up in that royal family. And everything seems to be going for him, right? He's, he wouldn't like to be adopted in a family that's rich and they have everything basically they, they need. So that happens in God's providence. And the other example that I'm going to give you this morning is David. David adopted this man called Mephibosheth. Uh, it's a difficult name to pronounce. <laughs> uh, but he adopts him. And that story is found in 2 uh, Samuel chapter 9. And if you know about the story of David and Saul, you know that Saul was a man that was a king in Israel. And at some point in his life, he, uh, he appointed David to be the, the leader of the army. And during the time when David was the leader of the army, he had so many conquests. He had so much success during his, his leadership in the army. And because of that, Saul becomes jealous. And he starts to persecute David. And at some point in his life, he had to run away and go to the cave. And he was there. He had a chance to kill Saul. He did not kill him. But still, Saul continued to persecute him. He was running around in fear of death. And later on, David himself becomes the king. And now, when you think about that, here is David. He's being persecuted by Saul. Basically, Saul is his enemy, right? The Bible tells us we should love our enemies. But do we truly love our enemies? <laughs> When we truly have an enemy, somebody is chasing us, somebody wants, that wants us dead, are we really going to love them? When I was in school, I, I had, there was somebody that I could consider my enemy. Uh, what happened is I was a very shy boy, and I hardly spoke. I only spoke to my friends, and 
I was really, really shy, and people took advantage of me all the time. And so there was a guy that every day he would come to me and take my pencil. And he wouldn't give it back to me. And I was left without a pencil. We would have classes. I didn't know how to write because I didn't have a pencil. Every day, and this happened every single day. And my sister, I lived with my, with my sister and brother-in-law, and every day my sister had to give me a new pencil. And she got to a point where she got tired of it. And she looked me in the eye one day. She said, you know what? If you lose this pencil again, because she didn't know what was, what was happening at school, she said, if you lose this pencil again, you better get lost too. <laughs> Don't come back here. I was like, yeah, that, that's going to be hard. So I went to school that day, and I knew he was going to come. That guy was going to come and try to get my pencil. And I remembered, when he came, I remembered what my sister said. If I lose the pencil, I should get lost too. I was like, no, I'm going to stand my ground today. He is not going to take my pencil. So he comes and he tries to get the pencil out of my hands. I'm like, no, you're not taking this pencil. And that was the very first day that I stood my ground to him that day. He's like, what? No, no. That's, that pencil is mine, and you know it. I'm like, no, it's not yours. And so, unfortunately, I physically fought with him, and I ended up keeping my pencil. <laughs> and from that day on, I was so proud of myself. I was like, yeah, I defeated my enemy, right? Pride. And I didn't want to see that guy because of everything that he had made me go through. I didn't want to see him. I didn't talk to him. He was not my friend. I considered him my enemy. Now, if I had learned at that point, I was, I was young, if I had learned that I should love him, I don't know. I'm not sure what that would make me feel, how it would make me feel. I'm not sure, but that's what the scripture says. And so when you read here that Saul was persecuting David, and David at some point, he had to run away from Saul. And when he became king, this story tells us that he adopted Saul's son. Think about that. Think about that. And so I'm, I'm going to read here a couple of verses in Second Samuel 9, verse 3 says, And the king said, that, that's, that's David, is there, is there not someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled, crippled in his feet. And verse 7 says, And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore you to you all the land of Saul your father. And you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you shall show regard for a dead dog such as I? And in verse 11 says this, Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, I will, so I will do. 
So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of, king, of the king's sons. So we see here clearly that David takes this man, and mind you that this guy is crippled in his both feet. And if you think about people like those in those, in those days, they were basically outcasts. That's what they were. They did not have any value. But King David goes and seeks this man. He finds him and brings him to himself and he adopts him. Now, a couple of lessons that we need to learn here this morning with this story. Number one is David took initiative. It was David himself that took the initiative to adopt this man. And if you think about your situation before God, it's God himself that takes the initiative to adopt you. It's not us. It's not me. It's not you. It's God himself that takes the initiative and comes down in the form of Jesus. He dies on the cross to bring us closer to God. He takes initiative. We do not pursue God. In fact, we, we see in, in Psalm 14, 2, 3, he says, The Lord looks down for, from heaven on the, children of man, of, on the children of man to see if there is any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. That is us. But God, while we were still in this situation, he took his initiative, and he came to us. He pursues us. And in the book of Romans, chapter 5, 6, and 8, he says, For while we were still weak, at the, right at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were his enemies. That's what we were. But still, he came to us. Looking at that enemy, I'm not sure I would be able to do anything good to, my, to, to that guy that was taking my pencils. If I even had a chance to be generous to him, I don't know if I would have done, if I would have done it because I considered him my enemy. But look at us, the things that we have done to God. But still, he comes down and he adopts us. He calls us his children. You and I can trust in that this morning. We can trust in that. He takes care of us as his own children. And the second lesson to learn from this story is that David shows mercy to his enemy's son. He shows mercy to him. Um, like I said earlier, people that were in the situation that Mephibosheth had here is these people were like outcasts. They were, they were basically nothing. And you can look at the way he describes himself. He says, I'm a dead dog. Who am I for the king to take regard in me? I'm a dead dog. He describes himself like that. In recognition that his situation, he did not deserve to be at the king's table, to be at the king's house. He knows that in his heart. But yet, he's shown this mercy 
and he's brought to the king, and he's adopted. And in Ephesians, we see this happen about ourselves. And you are dead in the trespasses and sins which were, you once walked, following the curses of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were in nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's what we were, children of wrath. What we deserved, you and I, was just the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the punishment. That's what we deserved. But today, we're children of God. He adopts us. He, he shows us this mercy that we do not deserve. But we still have it. David also sought the outcast. We were outcasts. And God seeks us. He comes to us. David was motivated by love for Jonathan. And God does this, motivated by love. Love for Jesus. And he sends this Jesus to come to the world to suffer, to die, and to, to be risen again for the glory of God so that you and I can be adopted into his family. David shows kindness, and God shows kindness to us. David chose, David chose a man that was outside of perfection. Outside of perfection. He was nowhere near perfection to be able to be, to be taken to the king. And that was our situation too. We were nowhere near the perfection that God requires. But still, he came to us. And this guy, Mephibosheth, he lived at a place called Lodebar. And this place, what it means is a wasteland. A wasteland. Basically a desert. And you know what a desert is like. There is no water. No one can actually live in a desert. That's where he lived at a place that denoted that. Which shows again that this man was basically nothing. And that's our situation before we knew Christ. We were nothing. But today, we're in the royal family. We're called children of God, sons and daughters of God. That's what we're called. This is a great picture of mercy and grace from God to us. And so Paul here says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to, to fall back into fear. Fear of what? Fear of judgment? Fear of God's punishment? We're not given that kind of spirit. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So the spirit that we have today, it energizes us to call God, Abba, Father. And this word, Abba, it's an Aramaic word, word that means Daddy, Papa. That's what it means. 
And you're not going to call anybody out there daddy, will you? Unless it's somebody that you're truly close to. He's really, really your father. Your dad. And that's what it means. It's a, a term that means intimacy. It means love. It means trust. It means dependence. Depending in God. So the Spirit empowers us to call God Abba, Father, to call him Daddy. And if you're here this morning and you're kind of doubtful if God is really, really your Father, you can call him Daddy, and I assure you, the Holy Spirit that's in you, he confirms that, that you can call him Father. Maybe you've had experiences in your life where your father was not really the kind of father you, you, you hoped that he would be. Maybe you have experiences this morning that, I mean, that your father was, or maybe he did something that you didn't really expect him to do, or you have bad experiences of fatherhood or something like that. And in fact, Martin Luther, the reformer, says that um, he, he had a hard time praying the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who is in heaven, because his father was very strict. Very, very strict. Maybe you've had an experience like that, and you struggle calling God, Daddy, calling him Abba, Father. Maybe that's real in your life. But the Holy Spirit that's in you this morning and forever, he confirms that you are a child of God. You are a child of God. Growing up, I've never heard, I've never ever heard my father say, I love you to me. And that is real. As weird as that sounds, my dad has never said to me, I love you. I've never, he I've never heard him say to my, any of my siblings, I love you. Not even my mom. They've never said that. And that is something cultural. And I've never thought in a in at least a minute that does he really love me because i know that he loves me i don't doubt that i know he shows that he loves me even though he doesn't say it he shows that he loves me and he loves all my brothers and sisters he does and maybe you're in a situation this morning that you're thinking but does does god really love me does he really love me Please believe that he does love you. <laughs> and you're his child. You are. And that is real. It's as real as it can get. Amen. It is real. So we can have confidence that we're children of God and that the Holy Spirit that's in us, it energizes us. It empowers us to call God our Father. So you can, you can pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, because he is your Father. He is. Now, if you look at the Roman adoption, uh, there are a couple of things that I'd like to, to highlight here. In the Roman adoption system, the first point is, the adopted person lost all relationship to the old family and gained all the rights of the new family. That's what happened in their system of adoption. And that is a great picture of salvation. Great picture of salvation. You lose everything. 
Everything is, is gone. You're in a new family. You're a new being right now. You're God's son and daughter. All that, all that past life is gone. You're a new creation at this point. And that's exactly what happened in their system of adoption. You have new rights now, and you inherit God's state together with Jesus. That's the reality for you. It's such a picture of salvation. And the second point is, the adopted, the adopted person became a new heir to the father's state. Even if the father, the new father, had other, other children, biological children, the addition of the adopted person would add more to those children. And that child has this, had the same rights as the biological children. And that's, that's true of us. Jesus is the son of God. And now that God adopted us, we can call Jesus our brother. And we are co-heirs with him. We inherit what God has, which is everything. He owns everything, and so we inherit it. And the second aspect, I mean the third aspect is the former life of the adopted person was wiped away. All his debts were canceled, and he was given a new name. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? His debt was canceled. He was gone. He was given a new, a new name. That is a reality for your life this morning. You are not indebted to sin. You are not indebted to devil. You are not indebted to any of that stuff. Now you are indebted to Christ. You can worship Christ. You can worship God now. And you're given a new name. You have a new identity. Your identity is not that anymore. You're not a son of wrath or daughter of wrath anymore. You're a son and daughter of God. And that's real in your life. And you're literally a son of God. And you can rejoice in that. You can rejoice in that. My second point this morning is the assurance of our adoption status. In the Roman adoption, again, for the adoption to be finalized, they went to the court, and there was one of the requirements was to was that there was supposed to be seven witnesses. Seven witnesses were supposed to show up to witness the fact that whoever was going to be adopted, it's finalized, and they are now the son or daughter of the new father. And the reason why they did that is because there were instances where the biological children, they would try to, um, they would try to, once the dad, the father died, they would try to take the state to themselves because the other son was the, was the adopted son. And so they would have seven witnesses to avoid those confusions later on once the father was dead. Uh, to avoid that, you know, the biological parents would take advantage of the adopted child. 
And so, if one witness was dead, there was six more left. Even if two were dead, there was four left or, seven or five left. There was always a witness. So that was the, that was the thought behind that. But the good news this morning, in verse 16, he says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. We do not need any other witness. The Spirit of God will never, ever die. It always testifies to our spirit. It's the witness that we have that we are children of God. The Spirit Himself. And as you know, the Spirit is God Himself. And so we don't need anybody else to, take, to be witnesses of us, of, our, of the fact that we are, we are adopted by God. We don't need that. He will never die. He will always be there, no matter what. No matter what accusations the enemy brings against us, He will always, always be there. He will always be there. Assuring us of our adoption status. We're children of God. I don't know about you, but I sometimes, it's, it's mind-boggling, right? To know that God, me, me, adopted by God, that's hard to think about. But it's real. It's real. That's a reality that we we need to know and we need to be assured of. And in verse 17, he says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. When I was young, I was about nine, ten years old in Mozambique, um, it was in the early 90s. It was, you could lay down on the, re, on the road in the street and take a nap for half hour or one hour and you would not be in danger of being run over by a car. That's how hard it was to see cars over there in the early 90s, okay? And I remember my friends and I would go out to the roadside and stand by the roadside just to see cars. Just to see cars passing by. And every time there was a car coming, we heard it from far. Hey, there's one coming. So we were all attentive just trying to see it. And one of us would be like, oh, that's my car. That's my car. Okay, it's yours. So yeah, my car. So he would go past. And then once that was gone... The next one, the other one was like, God, the next one is mine. So we would hear one coming. Oh, yeah, that's mine. Oh, yeah, that's my car. So we were so excited to see cars, fascinated by them. And as I grew up and I learned that there are people who inherit cars, I was like, oh, my goodness. I wish I would inherit a car from my dad, even though I knew my dad <laughs> did not even have a bicycle. <laughs> he didn't even have a bicycle. How would he have a car? 
But I was so excited thinking, man, there are people who inherit cars. I wish, I really wish I would inherit a car one day. That excitement should be our excitement, knowing that we have an inheritance with God. We're fellow heirs with Jesus Christ himself, the one that came down to earth, who served, and he died. And he rose again. We're co heirs with him. Now let's think about this for a minute. What, what is the inheritance that we have exactly? What is it? Is it cars? Is it a piece of land? What is it? Let's talk about that for a minute. <laughs> the first one that I'll talk about is the world. We are going to inherit the world. And we can see that. In Romans 4.13, it says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Look at that. That he would, he would be heir of the world. And you today are children of Abraham. And this word comes to you as well. It's for you. You are going to inherit the world. Think about that. Is there, a, is there a reason for us to be fighting for, you know, a little piece of land? For a little bit of power in this lifetime? We're going to have it. We're going to have it all. We should be excited about that because this life is so temporary. And the life to come is forever and ever and ever. And we are going to inherit this world that we see. We are going to be heirs of this world. We can be excited about that. In Psalm 24, verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's. You see that? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. Everybody who dwells in there. The whole world, everything that's in there. When you think about that, and you think about devil tempting Jesus. Remember one of, it, one of the temptations? Look at this. I'll give this to you if you worship me. Did he know that he was talking to the heir of all that? Did he know? And he does that to us. He does that to us too. And so we, should, we should know that we're going to be heirs of that. We are the heirs of this, the things that we see. So there is no need for us to be fighting so hard. Oh, I wish I could get that piece of land. And we're so willing to undermine the inheritance that we have, to undermine the benefits that we have for being heirs of God's state. Again in Psalms 2, 7 through 8, he says, I will tell of the decree, for the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I've begotten you. Ask me and I'll, I'll make, I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. So there is no need for us to be covering all these things in this lifetime. There is no need. As long as we remain in the Lord, we cling to the Lord. 
we can have confidence that we're his heirs. We're his heirs. heirs. And so the second point is we're going to inherit God himself. Amen. We're going to inherit God himself, the presence of God. We are going to live with God. Isn't that, isn't that a good thing? We should celebrate that. We're going to be with God, inherit him. And we can see that in Romans 5, 2, he says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have the hope of the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is a privilege. It's a privilege to rejoice for. But there is a condition here. Provided we suffer with him. This life we live... We're not guaranteed that everything is going to be 100% good. We're not guaranteed that. There's going to be moments when we're going to cry. There are moments we're going we're gonna to hurt. We're going to feel things that <coughs> excuse me, we wish they passed. We're going to suffer. So if we suffer with him, we are going to inherit the glory of God. In the book of Matthew 16, he says here, in verse 24, he says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If any one of you come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What that means is there's going to be something that you're going to have to give up. Denying yourself means refusing, saying no to satisfy your own flesh for the sake of Christ. That is what denying yourself is. And that's what Jesus is calling us for. And in 2 Timothy 3, he says here in verse 2, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's an assurance that there's going to be persecution in this lifetime. Not everything is going to go well. And right now, as we speak, there are people going through persecution in the world. And one of the places is in China. And yet, the church in China, in China I hear, is the fastest growing church through persecution. Apart from China, there are places in Africa where people are being persecuted for their faith. I remember watching this documentary where there was a conflict, I think it was in Sudan, between Christianity and Islam, where Muslims would go to neighborhoods where Christians lived and they would torture them and, you know, they would take them and they would do all sorts of things. That if, if there was a well where people draw water from to drink they would poison that well and people would come not knowing they would draw water and go home and drink it and die all sorts of things happening the conflict between Islam and Christianity 
so many Christians lost their lives being persecuted. People coming against them with guns and shooting them. These things happen in the world. And so Jesus says here, indeed all who desire, it's actually Paul that says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This is a, it's something real. It's going to happen. It might not happen physically here in America, but spiritually there is an enemy out there. There is a lion out there trying to find you, trying to put you down. And the strength to resist that enemy is found only in Christ. Amen. It's only in Christ. It's only in Christ we can find strength. There was a, uh, there was a church leader uh, from China that was asked the question. So um, he was being interviewed, and within that interview, the interviewer asked, he told him, well, we'll be praying for you. And the leader said, what are you going to pray about? He said, well, so that th that persecution may go away. He said, no, no, don't pray that the persecution ends. Don't pray that, because we thrive in that persecution. Please pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to strengthen us to withstand that persecution. That should be our prayer this morning. Because while we live in this life, there is always going to be persecution. It will always be there. It will always be there. So our prayer should be to the Father, through the Son, Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit to cry out, Abba, Father, because He is indeed our Father. Amen. He is our Father. And to finish here, I'm going to invite Nate to come up. And I'm going to read an extract here from a commentary by N.T. Wright about this passage of Romans. This is what he says, and I found it really, really encouraging and really good. He said, the wilderness, the desert land, seems to be the world in which the Lord of flesh remains strong and must be resisted. Instead of the pillars of cloud and fire, Christians are given the spirit as the personal presence of the living God. Christian, Christians will often be tempted to give up the struggle and go back to Egypt, to the place of slavery, even though they have, they have left it behind, as Paul makes clear in 6.15 through 19. There are many times when it would seem so much easier to be enslaved to sin again. No more battles, no more sense of an uphill struggle, and no more inheritance to look forward to. No living presence of God, no sense of, of companionship with Jesus himself. You did not receive a spirit of slavery, did you? To go back again into the state of fear? No, of course not. Don't be surprised if the way is hard and stony. It's always like that when you go from Egypt to Canaan. It's always like that. So let's not be surprised, but be strong in the Lord, knowing that our witness the witness for our adoption is the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Amen. Let's pray. 
God, thank you so much that we can call you Father. Thank you so much for your Holy Spirit that testifies to our spirit that we're sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father. Thank you, God, for that privilege. Please help us, Lord, to live, to dwell in that, to live our lives with that knowledge, to live our lives with that assurance of the Holy Spirit. Help us, God, today and as long as we live. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.